everything that we do. Just pray that you open our ears this morning to hear the word and to soak it into our souls uh, and to take it and apply it into the world. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, we are well into our series on the book of Ephesians, and I pray that it's been encouraging to you. And really, there's been this theme, especially the last few weeks, um, that I've uh, spent some time discussing with you, and hopefully as you've studied on your own, you've noticed it, is this theme of unity in God's church. Um, there were uh, racial tensions in uh, the church of Ephesus between Jew and Gentile, and, and the Apostle Paul talks about how uh, God in Christ Jesus has torn down this dividing wall of hostility. Um, we were children of wrath, we were enemies of God, and we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ, and, and on that basis, we're to be reconciled with one another, or live in the reality that we are a reconciled people. And uh, in this morning, uh, Paul gets to, last week we spent time on what, what I called a, a bit of his digression. He was um, so overwhelmed with the glories of the gospel and, uh, and how they bring unity uh, that he uh, moved toward praying for this local church. But uh, by God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he stops even, or delays his prayer even longer just to spend more time talking about the glories of the gospel. And now he's, he's back to this prayer for the church of Ephesus, and it's, it's a beautiful prayer. And it, it starts with verses, uh, verse 14, and it, it goes on down to verse 21. Uh, but what I want you to notice as I read is what the Apostle Paul has been laboring through over the last uh, several verses He's now praying. He understands that this is something only the Holy Spirit can do. This is something only uh, a miraculous work of God can do on the interior life of man for this unity that he's been saying that we have in Christ to actually be practiced uh, in the local church and then ripple effect even outside into the culture. And so just hold that in your head as we read this prayer. And this morning I may even end with just praying this um, over our local church and um, in the hopes that it equips us, strengthens us, encourages us to walk as a people who are reconciled to the Lord. And so Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 14, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he prays this prayer and forms the church of Ephesus of this prayer. He says, for this reason, okay, for everything he's been talking about, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come together again as your church and open it, Lord, and read it, Lord, and 
and, um, and work through it together. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us humility and wisdom, God, and, and, uh, and that you would use your word to expand our perspective on the finished work of Christ, Lord, that we would see circumstances through the lens of the finished work of Christ. So help us do that. We know that we can only do that by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, um, and I know we don't have a, a, um, a bulletin provided for you, but you can take notes in the, the Coastal app, or you can just bring a good old-fashioned paper and pen. Um, but if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. Every family in heaven and on earth is named before the Father. Every family in heaven and on earth is named before the Father. And again, think of our journey so far in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, we, we saw the love that, that God has for us in that our salvation is grounded in his character. Our salvation is grounded in his choice, and, and he secured our salvation through the blood of Christ Jesus, and he sealed our salvation by the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the day that we acquire possession of it, Ephesians chapter 1 stuff. And then we see, according to chapter 2, Paul reminds us that we were orphans. We were, he uses the language, we were strangers. We were aliens. He even goes as far as to say in the very first verse of chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, but that we've been made alive in Christ Jesus. And then we come here to this section in, in chapter 3, and, and the Apostle Paul, he, he further presses into this theme of reconciliation that's just littered all throughout the book of Ephesians here, uh, this reconciliation with God and with others by stating in verse 14 here that every family in heaven and on earth is named before the, before the Father. And again, think here of this local church, the church of Ephesus being made up of Jews and of Gentiles, of Jews and of non-Jews, of the circumcision and the uncircumcision. Remember when we talked a couple of weeks ago about how uncircumcision in first century church was slain for uh, those aren't people of the promise. Those aren't God's people. Uncircumcision meant the covenant of grace, the covenant of redemption, the God's salvation plan does not extend to these people. And the Apostle Paul is pressing against that and saying that it's about circumcision of the heart. And saying, he, He's saying that the gospel is for all types of people. Every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so, in, in other words, in Christ, we're this diverse collection, if you will, of, of, of sons and daughters, that, that make up God's family, that make up the body of Christ, that make up the bride of Christ. All of God's people that are dead in church history, all of God's people that are still alive here in the present, all of God's people that are yet to be born. All of God's people from every cultural background, all of God's people from every political background, all of God's people from every sin background are named before the Father. And let's think of the word name for just a minute. Just, just press in on, on, on that word. Right, we, we give careful consideration to names, don't we? We think about names a lot. Perhaps one of the, the first things that a child learns is his or her name. It's, it's the way that, that, that people are identified 
for the rest of their lives. All right? our, our names get our attention, if you will. All right? I know I'm in trouble if I hear Joey Neal. Like I know something has gone wrong if I, if I hear both my first and my middle name. My kids know I'm looking for them if I call out their names. Right? Our, our names identify belonging as well. Right? Who do we belong to? My last name is Tomlinson. Right? I, I belong to the Tomlinson family. My wife is Braden Tomlinson. My sons are Henry Tomlinson and Owen Tomlinson, and we belong to each other. And, and no matter what my sons do, they belong to me. They're a part of my family. They're forever Tomlinsons. And think about how our stories and our names are interconnected with one another. Let me say the last names of some people, and, and I bet that certain things would come to mind when I say these names, All right, even names that are more recent to us. If I say the last name Floyd, there are certain things that come to your mind when I say that, or Jordan, or Elliot, or for the, theologian nerds, Spurgeon. Or for political junkies, if I say Clinton or Trump. Or if I say for church history junkies, Augustine. Or if I say Parks or Teresa or Mandela. Right? Some of these names, if not all of these names, they, they invoke opinions. They invoke emotions. They invoke a certain story, if you will. And some of these are good opinions and emotions and stories, and, and some of these are, are bad. And think about how names even, they, they refer to, the, the names are attached to even cliche sayings. The apple doesn't fall far from what? From the tree. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's just like his father. She's just like her mother. Right? Names mean things. Right? Names are, are important. And, and Paul prays in our text this morning. He, he's indicating to the church of Ephesus what he's praying. This is what I'm praying over this church body is what the apostle Paul is saying to them in this letter. And, and he says that they are named, and consequently we are named before the Father. And exactly what is our name? According to verse 18, it's saint. Saint. And, and, and the word saint here, it means to be set apart by or for God. That's what the word saint here means. To be set apart is, is this act of God, if you will, on your behalf. And elsewhere, and this is by no means exhaustive, but elsewhere God calls us sons and daughters or a new creation, or redeemed, or friend, or fellow heir with Christ, or temple of the Holy Spirit, or the bride of Christ, or the body of Christ. That's just a sampling of our name before God when we're in Christ Jesus. Right? And this name, it's not because you've earned it, it's not because you've taken it, it's not because uh, you wanted this name. Right? My children didn't choose their names for better or for worse, their names are Henry and Owen. Right? You're naming 
before God it is the outworking of his eternal decree, Ephesians 1 stuff, by which he declared before the foundation of the earth, you're mine. Right? The name I give you means you belong to me. You're a part of my family. So this, this name before God, it, it's based solely on, on the spilled and powerful blood of Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're, if you're in Christ, and a part of what we do that, that really we haven't done in the last several weeks because we've been in quarantine, and, and honestly, watching it on your screen doesn't quite do it. it. It takes the collective body of Christ to help you remember your name, to help you remember that you're a son and daughter, to help you remember that you're a new creation, that you're redeemed, that you're called friend of God, that you're a fellow heir with Christ, that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you're the bride of Christ, that you're the body of Christ. Remember your name this morning. And when we remember our names, we, we remember how to live in light of being forgiven and being accepted by God in Christ. And, and when we forget our names, we, we begin to act as if we don't belong. We go into hiding, right? like, like Adam and Eve did. We try to fix things or clean ourselves up apart from Christ Jesus. And what we end up doing is, is running into the, the cold, clammy arms of sin and despair and legalism. So believer, this morning, I want to encourage you, remember your name. Your name is ever before the Father. Our names are, uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about it, them being engraved on the hands of Christ. Secondly, if you're taking notes, Paul prays for the Holy Spirit to prepare the inner man of the church of Ephesus. And so the Holy Spirit prepares your inner man. There's something going on inwardly in you if you're in Christ Jesus. And, and that's verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, and again, I made note of that phrase because it pops up a few times here, but you can look more into that in Romans chapter 11, the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The inner man, it means the, the hidden man of the heart. The hidden man of the heart, the, the unseen man, if you will. And it's not referring to, to unbelievers. That's not who the Apostle Paul's addressing here. Right? The, the inward and the outer lives of unbelievers, they match. Right? They're not in conflict with one another. They're not in contradiction with one another. We act according to what we believe. We act according to what we remember. But in believers, there's this new inner man. Right? And, and your true self, your, your new, you're a new creation, so your true self, who you are in Christ Jesus, stands in contrast, stands in opposition to your old self, your old man, the, 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 the man that's, that's dying by God's grace, right? the old sinful self, this, this body of death that you're mortifying through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and think about the context here, this inner man language, right? Paul's been pressing into this idea of unity, and we have him here emphasizing the need for the Holy Spirit to transform our inner man. 
The Holy Spirit needs to transform our inner man in order for what the Apostle Paul is pressing into to be successful in the context of the local church and consequently as a ripple effect into the culture as we're faithful heralds and stewards of the gospel that has been entrusted to us. And, and according to Paul, the, the apostle, uh, according to the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit is taking your inner man, he's transforming it day by day. Who you are tomorrow by God's grace won't be who you are today. Who you are today by God's grace is not the person that you were yesterday before you went to bed. And how does he do this primarily? He does this primarily through the word, through prayer, and through sacrament or the ordinances. So as we, as we spend time in the word of God, both as we read the word of God privately, but as we come together when we read it publicly and we hear it preached publicly, the Holy Spirit is doing a work on your inner man. And when you commit yourself to be a praying people, a, a people that, that are on your face before the living God, bringing your cares and your anxieties and your petitions to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is transforming you, and he's doing that as well when we pray publicly, corporately as God's body. And, and then when we come together corporately and we observe the sacraments or the, or the ordinances, when we, we see that the, 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 the professing believer go into the water and to, to come out symbolizing they're a new creation in Christ, that they're identifying with the risen Savior. The Lord is reminding us to remember our name. When we take the elements of the bread and the wine, the Lord is telling us, remember your name, and the Holy Spirit is doing something to us that maybe we don't even realize it's not even on our radar. The Holy Spirit is renewing and transforming our inner man day by day. And three, in Christ, we're grounded in love to know God more. And I had initially in love each other more. I want to change the word more to well. To know God more and love each other well. To know God more and love each other well. In Christ, we're grounded in love. That's the language that's used. To know God more and love each other well. Verse 17 so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And then skip down to verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so as the Holy Spirit transforms us, he does so, so that Christ may spiritually dwell in your heart. So that, we, so that we can, as God's people, be grounded in love, right? The, the love of Christ that allows us to know and remember that God abides with us. That's the, the fullness of God language. And, and let's grab onto this idea of love for a moment because it's wildly distorted, both in the church and outside the context of the local church. This word love, 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there with me, but starting in verse 7. John spends time on this idea of love here. And he says, Beloved, let us love for one another. And he mentions the word love just in these six verses 13 times here. He says, Let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, 
Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent a son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's it's not that God loves, although he does, right? Verse 7 there. The Scripture teaches this, even this passage is pressing in on the idea that God is love. It's not just that He loves, but God is love. Love's not some, some nebulous word that we can just haphazardly throw out there. All right? God is love and thus defines love, which means love must be holy. Love must be holy. Biblically speaking, a person that loves truly is a person that knows and abides in God. So love in this way, true love, biblical love, is, is grounded in God first and foremost. It's grounded in God, and it's for others' good. It's for their good, okay? So love, if love is holy, that means it's grounded in God, and it's for the good of other people, Right? And, 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 and the good of other people is both in the present, but primarily about their eternity. So it's in the present, but primarily about their eternity. And, and I want to speak to just even what's been happening in our society, because I, I think given where we are uh, over the last couple of weeks in the book of Ephesians, that we can't neglect to even speak to that, right? The, the text, in a way, necessitates that we talk about it, and and, and Lord willing, we as Christians, we need some concrete handles, I think, in, in how to work through or think through or speak to this particular, uh, particular area. All right, let's, let's speak to even just the murder of George Floyd for a moment. All right, how do we respond to this as Christians who are grounded in holy love? How do we speak to that? And, and I want to give you three things. First, we pray. Okay, through tears. We pray for the Floyd family that, that has to endure a video of their son's murder going viral and being played over and over and over again. Right? We, we pray for peace, the peace of Christ to, to reign in their hearts. We pray for justice. We pray for injustice to be exposed and dealt with. We pray for the reconciliation of Christ to be made known in our country through our heralding of that reconciliation. And we pray for godless counterfeit movements that feed idolatrous hearts to be exposed and tore down so that the gospel of peace can be promoted. So first and foremost, we pray. Secondly, we refuse to be blown by every wind of doctrine on an issue like this. We have the hope and peace that our culture doesn't have. Right, true love is grounded. What John says in verse 10 and 11, in, in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he's loved us and sent a son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right? True love is grounded in that. It's grounded in the God of the gospel. Right? And this is how we confront the sin of partiality in our culture. Right? I talked a couple of weeks ago about how the word racism isn't a strong enough word and it doesn't tell people how they repent. Let's use biblical language, the sin of partiality, so that we can give good handles on repentance so that people may be reconciled to God. 
But this is how we confront the sin of partiality in our culture. We engage in acts of God-centered love. Right? And God-centered love is grounded in truth, and it's unambiguous about its commitments. So as Christians, when we speak on an issue like this, we speak distinctively Christian. There's no other way to speak about it. We don't let the culture lead our discussion of it. We speak distinctively Christian. We don't adopt godless phrases and worldviews and ideas. The ideas of justice, love, and equality we promote must be God-focused. In other words, we don't engage in movements that lead people away from God. We engage with movements that lead people to God. Because anything else is just a further enslavement. And then three, we must be committed to the great commission of reaching people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, teaching them to obey God's word. And we need to engage and worship so far as it depends on us with people from different backgrounds. That's good practice for us, given that the new heavens and the new earth are going to be quite diverse. All right? And again, diversity in the sense of people from different cultural backgrounds, diversity in the sense people are coming from different political backgrounds, diversity in the sense that, that people are coming from different sin backgrounds, and the gospel is far-reaching, able to save all. And then look with me at this last phrase before the Apostle Paul gets to his benediction. He says here in verse 18, he says, May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. In Christ, we're, we're given the strength to comprehend in community, okay, with all the saints, according to verse 18, the breadth, length, height, and depth. Right? These, these are the full dimensions, if you will, of God's spiritual temple. Right? And we collectively are God's spiritual temple. Right? The Holy Spirit indwells, makes his home, abides, resides, takes up permanent residence, if you will, in the life of a believer. We're God's spiritual temple, and these are the dimensions of that spiritual temple temple. Right? That's answering the question that we may be asking reading this in verse 19. What's the fullness of God? Right? The breadth implies Christ's worldwide love, right? embracing all men from every background. Right? The length, it's being extended throughout all the ages. Right? The gospel saved those Old Testament saints, those New Testament saints, those saints all throughout church history, the saints today. It's the same gospel doing the same saving by the same God. The depth, right? it's profound wisdom that no creature can fathom, can comprehend. That's why the Apostle Paul even talks about it being a mystery in the book of Ephesians. And the height, right? it's being the saving gospel, this precious gospel message grounded in Christ Jesus, the, the height means that it's beyond the reach of any foe that tries to steal our joy, that tries to steal our salvation. Right? We're secure in the Father's hands. And so this 
This refers to the, 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 the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. It refers to this whole vast mystery of, of free salvation in Christ for all types of people, for Jew and for Gentile. And so God's spiritual temple, us, his local church, it's, it's vast. It's vast in its dimensions. Think of, think of the, the numerous as the sand on the shore language or as numerous as the stars in the sky language that we see utilized in, in the Old Testament. So remember this morning, we're named before the Father. Remember that the Spirit is transforming our inner man through the Word, through prayer, through sacrament. Remember that in Christ we're grounded in love to know God more and love others well. And in Christ we're connected to to a large, diverse group of people that that can't be snatched from the Father's hand. And so I want to close in prayer, and as I do, I want to to close with the the benediction because I don't even have time to work through the benediction with you. Um, But um, Ephesians chapter 3 here let me pray this over you and then we have a few minutes I think we can sing all creatures of our God and King if you guys don't mind Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer I want to pray this and include the benediction here for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Guys, I want to encourage you just as a response piece to this morning. Um, if, you, if you have the time, and I suspect all of us do, um, sign up for the 24-hour prayer and just commit yourself and your family to, to join with local churches um, all throughout our area to uh, to spend time praying, um, praying for um, the gospel to go forth, praying that we can be good stewards of this message of reconciliation that the Lord has given us, uh, prayer for peace, and prayer that God's kingdom would continue to be built. And so with that said, we're going to uh, sing All Creatures of Our God and King. Would you guys stand with us?